Good morning, everyone. It's time for news. The sun is out and shining, burning through the clouds and fog. Temperatures here in the Queen City, somewhere in the lower to mid-30s. Senate Bill 193, the bill that allows parents to establish education savings accounts for their kids, is one step closer to becoming law after reviving, uh, receiving an ought-to-pass recommendation from the House Education Committee yesterday. That was a bipartisan vote, with two Republicans voting against the bill and two Democrats, including Manchester Ward 9 State Rep. Barbara Shaw, voting in favor. Under the bill, parents who want to send their children to any school other than the government-run one mandated by their school district would enter into a contract with an eligible scholarship organization, which would effectively channel a portion of the state's education adequacy grant for that student to the parent for approved uses, including paying for tuition, curricular materials, tutors, transportation, education services or therapies, computer equipment and software, standardized tests, and more. Homeschooling parents would also be eligible to receive the funds. This, of course, has the educrats and unions losing their minds, saying the empowerment of parents, specifically those who are low and moderate income, will destroy public education by depriving it of necessary funds. Some have even called the move unconstitutional because parents might use the money to pay tuition at religious schools. I'm guessing they don't care that it's not the state paying the school, the parent who received the funds. uh, It's the parent who's receiving the funds because, well, they made a choice. Something tells me that's already been found constitutional. Anyway, the fault lies uh, fault lines on this argument run like this. Supporters say education should be about the child and that public education funds should go with the child to where they will receive the education that best suits them. Opponents claim that government uh, funds should only go to government schools so that they can be made better and that allowing parents to use taxpayer funds for other options will lay waste to the government school system. Governor Christopher Sununu weighed in on the bill, issuing a statement yesterday praising its bipartisan compromises and passage. He referenced last week's presentation by the Encarnacion family. It's a little Spanish with a French accent for you, who shared the life-changing opportunities education freedom provided them. He congratulated the communities for listening uh, to them and many other families like them in recommending the bill ought to pass, said Sununu. Quote, New Hampshire has signaled... That uh, to families that we are focused on the kids. This is the first step in ensuring that New Hampshire's education system continues to be on the forefront of innovation, giving parents and children the ability to choose the education path that is best suited for them, closing the opportunity gap and opening pathways like never before, regardless of economic status. Politics were put aside today, and I applaud the House Education Committee for reaching a bipartisan compromise that puts New Hampshire families first. We will continue to champion this ground champion this groundbreaking legislation, and will work with other members of the legislature as this bill moves through the process. The bill has already passed the Senate, which will likely concur with the House version if it passes in January. If that happens, then it's on to the governor's desk for his signature and into the law and history books. You can bet we will discuss. News from Rome Backyard continues after this. And those are your morning announcements. Here you go, Mr. Mayor. Hi, this is Manchester Mayor Ted Yatsis. Get the inside scoop on what's happening in Manchester on Wednesday mornings at 8.20, only on Gerard at Large. 
The meeting of the Manchester Board of Mayor and Aldermen was short and rather testy last night. At-large Alderman Dan O'Neill threw a fit over Mayor Ted Gatsis's request to suspend the board's rules and approve his nomination of interim city solicitor Emily Gray Rice to the position on a permanent basis. While praising Rice's credentials and performance, O'Neill insisted the nomination follow the regular process so that an alderman who wanted to speak uh, so that an so that an alderman who wanted to speak to her about the appointment could. He also chastised Gatzis for sending out a second agenda containing the nomination. That said, Gatzis happened because of an error in the clerk's office, which City Clerk Mac Norman confirmed. That didn't matter to O'Neill. The aldermen needed their time. Gatzis questioned why they needed time when they'd had the past four or five months to talk to Rice. The motion to suspend the rules failed. At the suggestion of and at the suggestion of Ward Nine Alderman Barbara Shaw, the nomination was laid on the table for a vote at next week's meeting of the board, which uh, still would not conform to its rules. By the way, the board also voted to approve employee union contracts last night. The first was for the certified educators contract with the school district. It passed. The second was the union contract for the police support staff. Gatzis vetoed that contract, saying the money to pay for it didn't exist, and he said it would give the green light to other unions to come forward with unbudgeted pay raise deals. Standing with Gatzis on the override, which succeeded, were Ward 5's Tony Sapienza, Ward 6's Elizabeth Ann Moreau, Ward 12's Keith Hirschman, and at-large alderman Joe Kelly Lavasser. We, of course, found it curious that Shaw and Ward 7 alderman Bill Shea voted for the contract given their a strong support of the tax cap in the recent campaign. It kind of reminds me of when Gatsis asked rival Joyce Craig, uh, or, or why it was relevant that Gatsis asked rival Joyce Craig whether she'd oppose contracts that led to the tax cap uh, that led to tax cap overrides. We'll have to wait and see, won't we? Hmm. Maybe we've just seen. Also on last night's agenda was a memo from Finance Officer Bill Sanders about the city's tax rate. It went up by just 18 cents to $23.32, an increase of just over three quarters of a percent and 10 cents lower than projected by the board when it passed the budget. Among the factors that favored the taxpayers was a surplus that turned out to be a million dollars higher than expected and an education grant from the state that was $300,000 higher. All in all, the taxpayers were spared having to pay just under $900,000 less than projected. Don't pop the champagne cork quite yet, though. As Gatz has pointed out, and the documents clearly reveal, the board will have to replace the now $2.7 million in one-time revenues used from the last budget's surplus under uh, 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 under the tax cap next year before it can increase any spending. Good luck with that. That's news from our own backyard. Gerard at Large, Hour 2 is next.